0: the delight of Matthew. I have to get out of the hole that I dug earlier. Um, and we are in for a treat. Matthew has been really excited about this um, sermon series, but particularly about today. Um, and so he's, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, joy and reflection that has gone into this, so I'm really looking forward to it. So I'm just going to pray for I feel you're going to have to. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Pressure. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for Matthew. I ask that you take all of his preparation and all of his work and enable us to hear more of you and just see afresh what you want us to see. Amen. Amen. Nothing like a good build-up. Well, we can't begin to talk about a series on whole life discipleship without thinking about what discipleship is and who we're trying to be disciples of. And in Jesus' time, um, there was this whole um, educational system um, to be a Jewish disciple, and they started really, really young. Um, one of the ancient Jewish documents, the Talmud, uh, or Talmud, um, says that children began their education in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, um, when they were six years old. Well, I don't want to get into the realms of pride, but we start young church. At five here. So we're doing a bit better. Um, And the whole focus on this system of education was the memorizing of the Torah, was the learning by rote, particularly in an oral tradition where things were passed on orally of the Jewish scriptures so that they became a part of you. And it was a system where you had to be the best of the best to progress on to each level. So between 6 and 10, you had your first um, block of education where you were memorizing the Torah. And then if you were good, you would move on to the next block of your education. And at every stage, you had to be the best of the best until you got to the stage where you would seek out a rabbi. Now, you would only get to this stage if you were the most elite. If you were the highest student in the class, if you were a bit dodgy, if you weren't um, good academically, you wouldn't get anywhere close to this point. But if you were, you could go and try and be taken on by a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, and become one of his disciples. And when you were a rabbi, the rabbi would cross-examine you to, to ascertain your knowledge, to find out how well you knew your Torah. And they would ask all sorts of difficult questions, like how many times does a certain word appear in the book of? And you should know it like that. It was that It was that um, intense. And every wannabe Jewish disciple waited to hear two Hebrew words, lek hakeri, come follow me. And if the disciple heard these words, they would leave their family and their home village or town, and they would follow the, and they would follow the rabbi. And whatever the rabbi would do, the disciple would try and emulate it. The way um, the rabbi would teach, the d- disciple would teach, the way the rabbi would pray, their style of prayer and spirituality, the, the disciple would seek to embody And there's this um, expression about being covered in the dust of your rabbi. Such was the close relationship between disciple and rabbi. However, in the Gospels, we encounter Jesus. And, you know, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, we find two of the first disciples, Peter and Andrew, being called And as we look at Matthew chapter 4, we find that actually there is no cross-examination. There's no consulting of Peter and Andrew's educational record. Jesus met Peter and Andrew who weren't academics. These weren't men who were trying to study under a rabbi. They knew that wasn't their opportunity in life. They were ordinary fishermen. And yet Jesus says to them words which I can only imagine Peter and Andrew had consigned themselves never to hear in their lives, because they weren't the academics. They hadn't been top of the class. And yet Jesus says to them, come, follow me. Someone like him, someone like Jesus would say to Peter and Andrew, come, Follow me. I wonder how overwhelming that was to hear those words from Jesus spoken to Peter and Andrew. Jesus called them to follow him, and nothing other than Peter and Andrew's willingness to respond was necessary. And in the book of Revelation, we read the words, um, we read these words of invitation from Jesus. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. There's the invitation by love extended by Jesus to you and me. So I wonder if we can pause I wonder if we can just pause and take a moment to recall that point of invitation in our own lives, where over time or at a critical point, we hear Jesus' own invitation speaking into our lives and our willing response, just like Peter and Andrew, to up sticks and follow Jesus. So let's just pause and thank God for those moments. Father, thank you that you know us each by name. And the invitation is personal. And thank you, Lord, that in you we don't need to be top of the class. Because you call us through no other motivation than grace. And so we each thank you for either a point in our lives or a journey throughout our lives which have led us to you. Amen. And after receiving that invitation, Peter and Andrew followed Jesus, and as more and more accepted his invitation to learn from his teachings, they became part of a community um, that was being built, and they saw people being healed, God's miracles becoming an everyday part, a normal part of their experience of following Jesus, their rabbi. And as Jesus prepares for his death, he promised his disciples the Holy Spirit to lead further into the reality of life in God. And through the love and grace of God, we are gathered here this morning because Jesus has invited us. Jesus, the Son of God, has decided to invite you and me. Interestingly, some of you may be here because you know Jesus, because you're a Christian. You'd identify as a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And others of you will be here because something has prompted you to come along. And whatever that is, I just want you to accept that you're here and you're in the right place and that you're here for a reason. And I want you to realize and be open to the possibility that God might be inviting you to go on a journey with him, um, possibly even starting this morning. Isn't that an exciting reality, that might dawn? But of course, we don't live in Camborne Church Centre. So what becomes of our lives of following Jesus everywhere else? And as we said in our introduction to this morning's series, um, our key question is, what are or where are our front lines? Where are the places we work, the places we rest, the places we have fellowship with others? And how does our being a follower of Jesus impact our lives and the lives of others in these different spaces? I came across a quote the other day by Nicky Gumbel, which says this. And let me just speak these words over your life. Your life has purpose. Your story is important. Your dreams count. Your voice matters. You were born to make an impact. Let me just say those words again. Your life has purpose. Your story is important. Your dreams count. Your voice matters. And you were born to make an impact. Let's turn back to Colossians. So this week, our Bible reading comes from Paul and to the Christian community in Colossae. Epaphras, their fellow disciple, has worked hard to grow Christian churches in this area, which is mainly Hellenized or Greek. And whilst the Jewish community has been growing in this region from the outset, they're a minority group. So let's ask the question... If you were one of God's people in Colossae, what or where would your front line have been? The majority of Colossians were ordinary people who worked in either farming or the wool trade. uh, Colossae was on a trade route, um, an important trade route if you have a Bible. In fact, I think there are maps in the back of the church Bibles. Um, It was on a trade route. And so it was a key center uh, for the wool trade. And some people might have been employed, might have been earning a wage, but many more people would have been in the slave trade. They would have been slaves in these places because slavery was common um, in Jesus' time. And people might have been trying just to scrape by a living And I wonder if you might, as you identify, as you've been identifying on the maps that Becky has put out and that we'll continue to build over the series, I wonder if you identify with the ordinariness of people's jobs in Colossae, people who were just in the farming community or people who were just preparing or, or selling wool. There was an orderliness to their lives. And I wonder if in your day to day life you, you identify with that sense of orderliness, that you just go about what you do. But I wonder if you've considered how your Christian faith might impact and influence how you are in the orderliness of those spaces. And I wonder if on the front line, on your front lines, your Christian faith has impacted that, that front line, that place. We live in a world um, of management jargon around 360-degree assessments and peer reviews, and if you work in education, cross-moderation, and, and all of this sort of thing, uh, basically where other people get to assess us and lo- get to look at our work. I wonder, I wonder if I can ask the challenging question, what would, what would people say... If you, or if you were to ask them, how does my Christian faith influence this space that we share? Be it a workplace, be it a school, be it a community setting, be it a voluntary commitment you have, be it your home. How does my Christian faith, my discipleship of Jesus, influence the way I am in this space? And how do you perceive that? That might be a very challenging question. I wonder if any of us have the courage to invite people to comment on that. Would they perceive that you were someone who acted differently because of your faith in Christ? Would they perceive that you were perhaps someone who was more welcoming or hospitable of others would they perceive that because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you might refuse to become involved in office um, or group politics? Might they perceive that you were someone who didn't gossip or undermine others? Would they see you as a great encourager of colleagues or fellow students or members of your sports club? Would they see you as someone who was generous in supporting their colleagues and friends? How does your Christian faith impact you on your front lines? Because I want us to dare to believe that God, who is at work in our lives, is also at work in our offices, in our homes, in our places of recreation, and in our schools, and in every front line that you've been identifying at the start of this morning's service. He's concerned that our colleagues, Our friends, our fellow students, our fellow club members might know that invitation extended in love to come to know the living God and let him be present in their lives. And I wonder if on your front lines you've been praying for people. I wonder if as you've been praying uh, behind the scenes for people, just as Ian was praying for Jim in, in the interview, we heard about Jim. I wonder if in your lives, when you've been praying for people, you've seen God provide opportunities, sparks of opportunities, to talk about faith. Can I invite you to give it a try? As you intentionally begin to pray for your front line, as you intentionally begin to pray for people on your front lines, I shouldn't say this, but I would bet, I wouldn't, but I I would imagine, that's a better expression that God would provide opportunities to talk about Jesus. And I want us to be bold and believe that there is a need for people to know that the Lord Jesus is the Savior of the world. And I want us to be bold and believe that signs of Jesus' kingdom on our front lines are happening and are possible. And I believe this because the story we celebrate at Christmas is that into the fear and doubt and poverty of this world, Jesus has come. Into the uncertainty of office restructures and charity funding, into the fears of loneliness and debt and concerns over relationships, into the doubt of people who believe themselves to have no significance in any place, Jesus has come. Into the concern over where food is going to come from, from the abject fear of benefit sanctions, Jesus has come. Jesus has come into our world and into our front lines and is transforming them. And the Bible ends with a prayer Which picks up on this doubt, this fear, this poverty. The prayer is quite simple. It's one you might want to adopt for your own prayer lives, and it's this Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Some translations say, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We believe that Jesus is present in this world by his Spirit. That God's work of reconciling us and our front lines to his transforming love is ongoing. But Jesus will return. And when he returns, all things will be reconciled to him. In Colossians, we read in verse 15, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created in him, uh, through him and for him. And then in verse 20 we read, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If something is created, it is usually owned. So companies which create products own those products. Sounds like an obvious statement to make, but if Apple produce a new project product, they own the rights to that product. And the owner has a great deal of authority and power over that which is created. They can influence the way the product is sold, the way it's priced, the way it's distributed, and the way it's developed. Paul, Paul and Timothy tell us that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, not a product of it. Jesus was never created. Jesus, as the Word, was there with the Father and the Spirit when the world was a formless void and darkness reigned over the face of the earth. And Jesus, with the Father and the Spirit, spoke creation into being. Land and sea, light and darkness, but so much more. We're told in Colossians, thrones and powers, rulers and authorities are also created for him and through him. And I believe we should recognize God's creative power in our front lines too. In the Old Testament, Joshua was nervous about entering the promised land. But there is nothing to fear, because that land was created by God, provided by God for his people to inhabit. And in the book of Joshua, we read these words, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, arise, Joshua." Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am given to them, to the sons of Israel. And every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. (laughs) Is it possible that our workplaces, our colleges, our sports clubs, our toddler groups, our community networks are all places that God has given us for our feet to tread within Places full of promise and opportunity. Are they too places where it's possible for us to be salt and light? And is it just possible that God who formed plans and purposes for your life from of old might have planned your identity not to be that of an accountant or a student or even a parent primarily, but as someone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ in that particular front line as you inhabit a space that God created uh, for you to tread in. I wonder what your front lines are and I wonder how your faith in Jesus Christ influences how you live your lives within them. I wonder if we can pause for a moment as I share those words that I spoke at the start of this reflection back over your lives once more. Your life has purpose. Your story is important. Your dreams count. Your voice matters. You were born to have an impact. And I'm going to personalize those words for us now. And I'm going to say "my," but I want you, in your own way, um, in in the quiet of your hearts and minds, to say "my" as well as I as I read those words, just one last time. And speak them with and you know, speak them inside yourselves with feeling and belief. My life has purpose. My story is important. My dreams count. My voice matters. I was born to have an impact. All glory be to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.